So uh, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles now to Proverbs 8. I think it's on page 635 as Stuart comes to read. After that, we're going to have the video. Take note of it. Have a look at the images and its, uh, its underlying assumptions as it seeks to move us emotionally to pursue its worldview of wisdom. Uh, thanks, Stuart. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Continuing on from the book of Proverbs, today's reading is actually uh, Proverbs 9, which is on page 636 of the Blue Church Bibles. So Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls to the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Well, how did the video strike you? It seeks to win you over, doesn't it? It portrays a view of wisdom that seems valuable to us if we seek to live the good life. We'll be spending most of our time in God's Word this morning, as you would expect. But I want to say there's actually a lot that I love about that video. The wonder of learning good food and wine with friends, children's laughter, a desire to do good to others, an appreciation of art and literature, beautiful sunsets, forests, the taste of brie, good coffee. To really love others and a desire to be truly loved. As a video in terms of conveying a message, I think it's actually quite stunning. I saw it a few years back and I've watched it many times since. And each time I watch it, there's parts of the video that I find deeply inspirational. Yet as I've watched it, I've always known at its core, the underlying worldview could not be more different than my own. It's a view of wisdom and where it's found that stands at odds with God's word. And it gets right to the point. Living is difficult. It's full of sticky situations and exceptions to truisms. 
which is actually quite a profound um, sentence, I think, and quite timely, as we study Proverbs, a book itself that contains many truisms, with a, a truism being something that is generally but not always true. And it's actually the wisdom books of the Bible, Job and Ecclesiastes, that stand alongside such truisms to explore the complex depths of the exceptions to truisms that we face together in life. And the next line of the video gets to the heart of where they're going, that while living is difficult, quote, you don't need it spelled out to you in a book or to live by strong moral principle. Cut to a shot of someone that looks like reading the Bible, then the picture of the church steeple with the sky going dark, before listing off many beautiful attributes and desires. The video is saying to us, it's pulling at our heartstrings, saying, come follow me, find wisdom, be a person of real depth and purpose and experience life to the full. Life to the full without reference to God. It tells us very strongly in many images and and explicitly too that we're really just a wonder of evolution. The human race is the light burning brightly in the universe. Life's a carnival ride of ups and downs. It's a game of chance. And the implied message is so do good and be good. Come follow us. Whereas the book of Proverbs is saying, find wisdom and find life from God. Work out first what it means to live in fear of him. That's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. That's real understanding. To live well, relate to God. Receive favour from him to find real life. Last week we saw in chapters 1 to 3 of Proverbs that point uh, that comes up again and again as we read through Proverbs about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That was verse 7 of chapter 1. And the main point I tried to make last week, if uh, you weren't here, was this understanding of the fear of the Lord is not just some three-point proposition that I can put across to you with a few uh, good illustrations. The book of Proverbs tells us that it's something that needs to be toiled for. It's a worldview, it's a connection to reality, brought about by applying our heart to understanding, storing up God's commands, calling out for insight, searching for it like treasure. And if you've done some of the daily reading guide by now, you would have covered chapters 4 to 7, and you would have seen the great call of chapter 4 to pursue wisdom at any cost. There's actually an extended warning against embracing folly in its many forms, and it leans heavily on the image of being seduced by adultery. Not to sort of single that one out, but it's something that we kind of get that relational pull and many of us have been affected by it in different ways. And then we make the turn to chapter 8 and 9. And we will run through some of chapter 8 just before our reading today. That was the correct Bible reading. I just introduced it wrong. But do have your Bibles open to page 635 because we're going to look at a bit of chapter 8 and then move into chapter 9 together. And you'll see there on uh, chapter 8, verse 1, at the top of page 635 there, that we get this call again and again that's been building through Proverbs, the call for all mankind to embrace God's wisdom personified once more. That's very much what this image of the ladies is happening in Proverbs there. It's not real people, it's wisdom and folly personified. So wisdom calls out to us, verse 1. We're told in verse 6 there that, 
This wisdom calls out to us with trustworthy things to say, speaking only what is right, things that are self-evidently good for the discerning, those who seek knowledge from Lady Wisdom, learning how to fear the Lord. In verse 13, our picture of what it means to fear the Lord is filled out some more. Verse 13 there, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, says God's wisdom personified. And uh, it's a pretty big catch-all, I reckon, in one verse. Evil behavior is a, a pretty big one. Perverse speech covers a lot too. And I think it's our experience as we grow older, just how much damage we can do with our words in life. But this verse also touches on the posture of the heart that God hates. Pride and arrogance being singled out there. Now let's just own up, I think, to the fact that we find this term, the fear of the Lord, is something that worries us, uh, particularly as we seek to explain our faith to others. And if you missed the intro last week, do please do catch up online. And if you're here today checking out who Jesus is or listening along online, I think this is the point to tune in, not to tune out. Because this concept of the fear of the Lord is something really important for each of us to get right if we're to understand how Proverbs work. So I think to understand why it grates with us so much, we have to understand what's going on in our culture to realize why we kind of react and others react so strongly to this term, the fear of the Lord. Last year, uh, there's a podcast I listen to. I do love listening to podcasts. Uh, This one's called This Cultural Moment by uh, a guy called Mark Sayers in Melbourne who's a pastor there. And one of the episodes, they were talking about how cultures shift and transform across the world. And he said you can basically break up cultures into three broad areas and uh, they have progressed over time. So the first culture, as they refer to it, uh, are the times and places where there was a deep sense of spiritual forces, often multiple gods, a deep tension, often fear. And of course, many cultures left this behind centuries ago, but it still persists in some. But think Roman Empire before Christianity. Think many of the tribal and animistic cultures that still exist in the world today, that there are multiple gods that need to be appeased and sacrificed to. Second culture then is the great influence of the so-called monotheistic cultures, the the single God cultures, the ones deeply influenced by Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Much of the Middle East today, you would say, is still firmly second culture and certainly that's where our heritage comes from here in Australia. Many of our laws, our culture, our legal, our parliamentary systems, how our schools like this work, how hospitals operate, come from that sort of second culture where we deeply saw ourselves as a Christian-based culture. And then third culture is perhaps best described as the cultures around the world that are, are working pretty hard at leaving the idea of God behind and almost defining themselves in rejection against God, cleansing every reference from God from public life, in parliament, in our schools, and actually marginalizing those who still follow him. We are moving quite quickly as a country into third culture. Actually, it's been happening for some time now, but the pace at which it's happening, I think we're starting to feel more now. So it's a great challenge, and I think we probably feel that now, increasingly so, to be a Christian in our world today, to hold to a worldview that there really is one all-powerful God behind it all that dearly loves us 
And part of how it all works in this concept of the fear of the Lord is that we defer to him. We humbly sit beneath him. We seek his wisdom diligently. We look to him to develop real character in us. We look to him to seek to find our definitions of good and evil, what's right and wrong. So it's a challenge for us to live now in a world that's increasingly saying, no, we've moved past God now. And as a society, we can feel it, that our world is rewriting the book, removing God's wisdom from it. God's standard of right and wrong on acceptable behavior, sexual practice, ethics, but more importantly, the attitudes of our heart. It's very interesting now. There's lots of people saying that humility... Uh, a great sort of Christian virtue which is upheld uh, that have moved obviously beyond Christianity, just sort of saying humility has no social benefit to us. It's just something we should leave behind. It's not good for us as a society. It's not good for you to practice it. It's one example of how we're moving beyond, um, uh, I guess, the, the Christian accepted wisdom of our world. Uh, whatever your view on uh, same-sex marriage, I think, is something that we've all felt in recent years. I think uh, the change in our society's laws on that are one example of a societal shift to define itself against the previous view uh, of marriage that was deeply shaped by the Bible's view of marriage and family. We find that tension. It is particularly hard to live in a cultural moment like this as Christians. And chapter 3 last week encouraged us to trust in God with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, but submitting all our ways to God, not to be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord and shun evil. We do so in a time where society is defining itself against such an idea, where Christians now are increasingly pitied at best, yet more often despised. For being so unenlightened, so regressive for even considering this option of humbly living in reverence to the Lord. For all of us, however, and particularly if you're checking out Jesus, note the logic of Proverbs so far and the placement of this concept in the middle of such a great chapter as chapter 8. The logic was set up there for us in chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. But as this is kind of fleshed out, as Proverbs 1 to 9 has gone on, we see that to all those who will submit to God humbly and find access to God's wisdom by listening to him through his word, we hear of a great sort of list of benefits, a great sale job on just how good it is. Start with me there in chapter 8, verse 14. As we hear God's wisdom personified, speaking to us, saying on behalf of God, Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign. By me, princes govern. Verse 16. And as we read on with me on page 635 from verse 17, these very moving words, as wisdom personified, God's wisdom speaks to us and says, verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me 
and making their treasuries full. This is not wisdom from an easily angered God, unpredictable and vindictive. It's a God who loves us, who loves you and longs to bless you abundantly. It's wisdom from an infinitely powerful God whose wisdom is so much greater than ours and yet out of love gives us access to it through his word and through books like Proverbs. But we read here it's a God who wove his wisdom into the very fabric of the world on how life works best. I'll read it from verse 22 at the end of the chapter. Read along with me. I find these words incredibly moving. As the wisdom of God personified speaks of itself, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I, God's wisdom, was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundary so the waters could not overstep his command and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me, says God's wisdom. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. If you're here today or, again, just listening along online, checking out who Jesus is, maybe you're one of the youth here and you're kind of going through that very natural stage of working out whether this faith I've been brought up in I really want to take to be my own and live by, then listen to these words if you're wondering how this might benefit you. You have to see the logic at least that if all this is true, if there really is a creator God who deeply loves us, who was infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, and wove that wisdom into the creation of the world and our life works, who calls to us, wanting us to find him, wanting us to find his wisdom and live by it and find real life, then it makes sense, of course, to humble ourselves before him, to seek this wisdom with great fervor and persistence and to see that it's absolute folly to ignore him. And very unwise for our world to declare proudly that we've moved on from God. And in our arrogance, define ourselves, our community, our standards of right and wrong against him. Whether or not this is all true really matters. We have a big choice to make. Will we build our lives upon the wisdom of God or will we build upon another foundation? And of course, Jesus, God's wisdom in human flesh, made this exact point 
recorded for us in Matthew 7. If you're taking notes, Matthew 7 verses 24 to 28, I'll read it to you. As Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because of the great delight God takes in humanity, his longing to bless us and lead us to find life, in his great wisdom he sent Jesus to die on the cross to bear the penalty of our sins, our rejection, our foolishness against God. Jesus came to bear that upon his shoulders so that God's justice could remain intact because sin is punished. Yet all who trust in his substitutionary death and give their lives to following Jesus find forgiveness, relationship with God, true life now and for eternity. And from a position of absolute freedom are called to embrace the worldview of wisdom that we've uh, been, been called to, that God has reconciled us for, to this very day build our lives upon the only strong foundation that we have, God's wisdom personified Jesus through God's word to us. And so it's with that that we come to chapter 9, today's reading. Uh, Have it open there on page 636. You'll see again, wisdom personified. Please don't just think of this as two ladies that are getting one elevated and run down. This is kind of the culmination of Proverbs 1 to 9, talking of God's wisdom personified as, uh, let's call her Lady Wisdom, And uh, the world's foolishness, let's call her Dame Folly. And the character of these two is entirely different. You can read it there in chapter 9. Lady Wisdom has built her house, set up its pillars. She's prepared. She's generous with her food, with her meat, with well-blended wine, tables already laid out. She's proactive, sending out servants to call those looking for wisdom. Let those who are simple come to my house. Dame Folly is not so. She is described, verse 13, as an unruly woman, simple, who knows nothing. Picture her, a far less beautiful sight, slouched against the doorpost of her house, calling out, let all who are simple come to my house. There are two competing worldviews here, one of wisdom, one of folly, that Proverbs is painting this picture of these two people as wisdom personified of two very differently motivated calls to wisdom but please note the call itself has the exact same content both women call out let all who are simple come to my house from that level it's indistinguishable yet the intent and end goal of both could not be any more different lady wisdom god's wisdom wants to give you insight verse six lady wisdom tells us that yes of course mockers will always mock But the wise love instruction. And by listening to her, God's wisdom will add to their learning. 
and to bookend all of this, what we've seen in the first nine chapters, as an exclamation point for us not to miss. We have verse 10. Again, there it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But Dame Folly's call, the worldview without God in its call, has a very different end game in mind, an intent to lead us into evil. To those who have no sense, Dame Folly says, verse 17, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Now, when you read it like that, you think it seems a little too obvious Surely we wouldn't fall for such clear folly like that. We would spot it. But please remember, this is the summary of chapters 1 to 9. I think it's painting in such extremes so that we might see the extremities of the choice. But if you've been reading along, you would have seen in verses 4 to 7 like an extended kind of illustration of just how seductive folly is. And it does use the image of adultery. And I realise this might be painful for uh, many of you who have suffered uh, uh, by the sin of uh, others or may feel the guilt of that yourself. But Proverbs uses this illustration very powerfully because I think we all get it. And it draws this relationship of just how intensely God feels for us and his pain when we reject him and walk the other way. I think this image of adultery tries to kind of get us on the, the hook to, to help us see just how much folly's call to us is what I would call a bait and switch. So imagine it through the eyes of uh, you know, the adultery images that we've seen so predominantly through Proverbs of you know, folly coming to you perhaps at a time where you're worn down, feeling dead to the world, lifeless in the monotony of things. A new person comes along who has time to listen to you, who you feel really gets you. There's excitement. There's new possibilities. Unlike at home where there's bills to pay, the school run, home maintenance, perhaps an underlying resentment. Then at the office, a simple smile brings warmth. As hands brush past each other, it's like electricity flowing, bringing colour again back to a monotone world. So the bait is held out there before you, and yet it seems so tempting. Yet when you indulge, then comes the switch. You didn't realise that there was a hook there, and what you actually get is a loss of honour and standing amongst your family and friends that you love, your wealth often divided in half and often shared with strangers. Folly never delivers. Folly is always a bait and switch. And Proverbs chapter 9 raises the stakes. We are meant to realise the danger when we see that folly mimics wisdom's call. But Dame Folly has ill intent combined with great skill in seduction, saying to us, God is not there. You don't need to search for his wisdom with such diligence. You don't need to humble yourself before a holy God. Dame Folly says, wisdom is easy. Do good to others. Together we can find a road to wholeness. Let's pursue justice together, equality, learning, progress. Together we can create a better life without God. 
You don't need forgiveness. Guilt is something that you can let go of you. It's been impressed on you unfairly. You're special. You have a good heart. Follow me. Let's move on together. That is Dame Folly's call to us, seeking to draw us, to seduce us away from God. But what Proverbs tells us is that folly does not deliver. Folly has no intent on delivering. Folly is always a bait and switch. Consider for a moment then the rather utopian idea put forward in the video that we watched at the start of this sermon. And we see it all around us in movies and advertising where we sold this idea that we just need to find the freedom to embrace a stimulating career whilst you know, sipping the most ethical cup of coffee in the world in a beautiful part Scandi, part hipster cafe working on your $3,000 MacBook Pro. Now, I have a MacBook, so I'm not throwing Mac owners under the bus there. <laughs> Before returning home to the love of your life, having all the time you like with your kids and the financial freedom to pursue travel, learning and entertain with great food and drink. That's the image that's sold to us all the time. Yet when you actually unpick it and look behind the curtain, to pursue that life, you actually need a fair bit of wealth. You also need to live in a wealthy country like ours with strong borders to give you the space to pursue it, only letting in a small number of refugees. And to live that life, your life is actually built on the back of a low-paid factory worker in Vietnam who made your shoes, the lonely seafarers missing their family as they shipped your shoes and your MacBook from Asia, <laughs> and also the low-paid local truck driver trapped close to the poverty line working extraordinary hours to put food on the table for his kids. The logic and the economics of this utopian ideal don't work. The good life that we've sold so constantly, the good life for us, does not mean the good life for everyone. And to cope with the guilt this creates, we tell ourselves, we've worked harder, we're generous, we blame the government, we blame world powers, evil dictators, they're the problem. We lament and can rant and rave on about the drop in our government's aid budget for the poor, which has been astounding, by the way. We express a little bit of outrage against our shameful treatment of refugees. But it's actually us who expect the government to be the generous ones to hand yet another economic miracle to us of lower taxes, higher wealth for us, better health services to keep us alive for longer, more money for schools, better social security, more financial assistance for daycare so we can work longer hours amassing the highest levels of debt that we ever have before. We widen the gap between rich and poor as we fall short of this utopian ideal. We grapple with spiralling rates of mental health. I could go on, but I think I've made the point. It's a total bait and switch to be sold, live a great life without God. I know you want to live forever, but embrace the idea, be at peace with the idea of slipping off to the eternal quiet, as the video so beautifully put it not knowing that actually we are created for eternity by a God who delights in us, who longs to give us wisdom, who has already done everything necessary to deal with our sin through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Only by giving ourselves to him, embracing his path to wisdom, building our world around him, can we truly find life. Folly 
continually entices us away from this truth. But Proverbs 1 to 9 tells us very clearly that little do her followers know that they are being led to an unnecessary death. As Proverbs 1 to 9 comes to a close, speaking of the great surprise that awaits all those who turn away from God's wisdom, Lady Wisdom, and enter Dame Folly's house, it finishes with this great conclusion. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the realm of the dead. It is the ultimate bait and switch. Whereas wisdom, God's wisdom, offers us life, while at the same time hating evil in ourselves and in our world, God provides salvation from its penalty through his son wiping away our sins out of great love, dying on the cross for us and calling us to build upon the foundation that Christ lays for us to build our lives on the solid rock that is Jesus. We can experience the storms of life knowing we won't be swept away. We can experience the joys and the struggles, which are many, with confidence. There is so much good in that video. I really do love it. But it falls so spectacularly short of the beauty that God's wisdom really offers us. To use its imagery and adjust the worldview, we can be the ones holding on to that newborn baby after a night of little sleep, watching the new day dawn, coffee in hand, but actually knowing that we're much more than evolution's highest point burning brightly in the universe, that instead we are the pinnacle of God's creation, where that child was made by God for a God who rejoices in that little life, a God who delights in humanity, who wants us to live under him with a great promise of eternity and blessing where we don't simply have to shake our heads in shame at our broken records of failure, war and tragedy, as the video puts it, we can actually trust in a God who has promised to wipe it all away upon Jesus' return, where justice will finally be done for all. And we are called to be a part of God building his kingdom, where the good life for us doesn't mean good for us at other people's expense. It's actually the other way around. We're called to a self-sacrificial life, giving the best of our time, our energy and our resources for the sake of others, sending missionaries to all corners of the globe. It's a great shame Mike and Karen can't be with us here today and I know they're going to be uh, rescheduled, but really do look forward to catching up with the Rose and seeing what God is doing in world mission through his church. But God calls us all to be missionaries in our culture, to plant as many churches as we can through our own city being encouraged day in, day out by God's wisdom to be truly other person-centred. Wisdom and folly's call to the good life can seem so similar at first. There's so much in that video, as I said, that I love and aspire to, and rightly so. But we've got to see the danger there. Wisdom's call, God's wisdom, at its heart is very different and leads you down a very different path to get there. And once you grasp that tension, the danger of it, the real need to pursue God's wisdom with all our heart, and to reject folly, 
seeing that living in the fear of the Lord is a beautiful, life-giving exercise, then once we understand that tension, we're ready to dive into the rest of Proverbs, chapters 10 to 29, knowing that we need it, that only through finding God's wisdom can we find true life. That's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. But for now, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that uh, we live in a time where we can see your wisdom truly personified in our Lord Jesus Christ. We realize the more we read Proverbs, just how much Jesus is uh, your very uh, wisdom, uh, your very word brought to life in human flesh. And we thank you so much that uh, as his chief work, he came to die on the cross for our sins so that all of our foolishness, all our sin, all of our guilt can be dealt with before you. And that from a position of absolute freedom that only your grace can provide, we can seek uh, to set out on a lifetime of uh, embracing your wisdom, building our lives on the solid rock that is Jesus, knowing that when we stumble and fall, that you are our loving Heavenly Father who picks us up and uh, calls us to continue to work uh, to walk with you, uh, knowing that our sins, past, present and future, have all been so efficiently dealt with by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that um, as we stumble and fall, we never fall out of relationship uh, with you. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, for each person here today and all of our households, uh, this church family together, that you might enable all of us to really see uh, the blessing and the privilege and the great joy it is to pursue your wisdom in this life. And please help us to help each other do it well. For those of us struggling with guilt this morning in different areas, please help us to share the great news of the gospel with each other that that has been dealt with by Jesus. Something that uh, so we might feel truly free and so that we might live lives that embrace your wisdom and seek great blessing not only for our own households, but actually for the world in which we live. Please help us to be truly other person-centered, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ in this, humbly submitting to him as he works out his purposes through your church in this world. Please help us all to be active participants in that, fueled by grace, fueled by great love for you, knowing just how much you love us as uh, you've shown us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the coming uh, few weeks as we now head into Proverbs that we might uh, see just so much more depth in just those individual Proverbs on using our words wisely, uh, choosing and being good friends, and so much more in Proverbs. Please help us to value each one of those words and to help us to put them into practice in our households for your great glory and honour, for our blessing, and for the sake of salvation going out to many. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.